Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. No one here but me. Number one, 1979, the police with message in the bottle. Message in a bottle. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stopper at Rogers Place. Oilers have wrapped up practice. We're going to bring Louis DeBrusque in in 39 seconds' time. Haji, Texas. And I said, in my mind, the Oilers have five stone-cold mortal lock top six forwards. McDavid, Drysaddle, RNH, Hyman, and Kane. TBA on Yamamoto and Pogliarvi. Haji says, Bob, I think you have to include Yamamoto in the top six as it's been intimated that Connor and Leon both want to play with Kyder Yamamoto. Whether or not his analytics reflect that of a top six player, when a Leon Dreisettle or Connor McDavid wants you on his line, in my mind, you are hereby anointed a top six player status. Well, it's a good conversation point. Every Thursday in Oilers now for GCL, GCL Diesel, providing genuine diesel parts and turbochargers at great prices since 1972. GCLDiesel.com. Brennan Ulrich telling me that the folks at GCL Diesel are back on board and they're going to sponsor the Louis DeBrusque feature. We welcome back to the show Sportsnet color analyst Louis DeBrusque. Hi, Louis. How are you doing? Hey, Bobby. How are you doing today? Uh, not bad. Uh, you know, a little bit light in the old roster Monday in Seattle and, <laughs> and Wednesday in, uh, in Calgary, and it was reflected in the offense, which did not score a goal in either of those two games. Louis, the, one of the biggest differences in these preseason tilts from back when you played, there's no fights. Yeah. Like, like it. sometimes if you, you know, if you had a roster that maybe didn't have a bunch of NHL offensively gifted players, you probably had a couple hammers playing on the third and fourth line. Just isn't part of the game anymore, is it? There was, there was some entertainment there for sure. And sometimes when that's not happening, I watched the Seattle game, portions of the Calgary game, and yeah, you know, it's, if it's not going your way, sometimes that would get something going for the team. Uh, it would, you know, kind of spark the bench a little bit. There was always that presence around, but the game's changed. And listen, you're right. It was a heavily uh, veteran team in both situations or more veterans for the respective home teams in those games. And that happens in exhibition, but that's also an opportunity for the coaching staff to see some young players, how they handle it. And that's really important, too, uh, to, to see how they go up against a more mature lineup, a lineup that's better than the lineup they have on paper, to go in there and try and pull out a win in those situations. I don't think that Jay Woodcroft and the coaching staff are disappointed they didn't win games. They're looking at development. They're looking at players to step up and see what they have. And, you know, I think in, in a couple of situations, guys did step up. I think Nima Linen was very present in the game. Um, two games ago, I thought he was running around, and I thought he was being that big presence, long stick, and being physical. And, you know, that's that's kind of what they're looking for. In a situation like that, go play the best you can possibly play and, and put your best skates forward, so to speak. Uh, Louis, the one thing that's got to be stated, Skinner and Pickard uh, split the start against the Jets, Rodriguez and Fanti against Seattle, and then Pickard and Skinner last night. The Oilers have gotten good goaltending in all three games. Yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking the same thing. The scores haven't been run up. Uh, they've had to work for their goals, and that's what you want. 
you know, that's kind of exactly what I think Edmonton expects from their goaltending. And it's been a, it's been a good little battle so far. And, you know, given that goaltending, the games have been relatively tight, relatively close, always kind of within reach with a goal here and a goal there, but it just didn't happen. And, that's the way it goes. But you can't you, – I don't think you can blame goaltending for sure. I agree with you in that respect. All right. So we had uh, – you know, and I it was sort of inferred to me by a couple people external to the Oilers organization that may have been at last night's game. And, you know, they know the ongoing debate on, yes, the Pugliarvi, where's the fit? The rumors in the offseason, he signed a one-year deal, $3 bucks. Is he a top six forward? Is he a middle six forward? Uh, and last night, Fogel was on the right wing, and Vertanen played his third straight game. And neither guy got much going. Like in Fogel's looking to kind of reassert himself. He had a tough, uh, you know, it, he didn't kill it last year in his first year at Edmonton. Um, so the question I have for you, and, and the, the genesis of the conversation, Louis, was I think Edmonton has five top six forwards all day. But David yep. Dreisaitl, they're obviously first liners. Kane's probably, you know, if Kane's on a line with those two guys, he's a, you know, Kane's a first line guy. Hyman scored 27 last year, at no worse than a second line player. Nugent Hopkins isn't the greatest 5v5 player, but he's exceptional in special teams. So for me, those five guys, you can't debate it. They've all scored at least 27 or more goals in a season. They are top six guys. There's five of them. Do you think nope. Do you think Yamamoto or Paul Yarby are, are stone cold mortal lock top six forwards at this stage in their career? Um, they've been they've been played that way. I'd say Yamamoto probably more than Paul Yarby, but I don't know. I don't know if they're they're locks. You know, I don't think they're locks. I think they're interchangeable, and I think that's the way they want it. I think they want to have guys that come in and. If you're not playing that well and you're maybe struggling a bit, we've seen it so often where players get elevated for an opportunity on those top two lines with, with different players to kind of give them a chance. Like, for instance, a young Dylan Holloway. I mean, Holloway is the type of player for me that, although he might be starting in the bottom six, if he does start here or gets time here, he'll come up in, in more of a third, fourth line role potentially, but he could easily be injected up on the top two lines for a shift or two or for a game or two to kind of get him going feel what it's like in that in that caliber of, of hockey playing up against the best every single night with the best because that's the difference, right? When you're playing on the top line or the top six, you're getting the best matchups, the hardest matchups. And that's that's the most important thing is that it's not going to be an easy thing. Everyone thinks, oh, you play top six, great, you're going to put up points, you're going to get lots of chances. Well, you have to work for your chances just as hard, if not more difficult to get those chances because you're playing up against the top pairing, the second pairing, the best shutdown line in the forward group, the best player on their team who's looking to do the same thing to you. So, you know, yeah, I agree with you. Five are locked. I think that there's some interchangeable parts there. And to be honest with you, Jay hasn't been, you know, afraid to kind of mix up the top six as well. You'll see Yamamoto sometimes up with McDavid, sometimes with Dreisaitl. You'll see Hyman on left, on right. I think every single night they're trying to find that mixture, but I do believe that if they do find the chemistry of a line that's going or a couple lines, they'll keep them together this year. I think they want to have that chemistry, but they had the luxury of also mixing things around. And I would say even a top nine, you know, if you put Nugent Hopkins down at center on the third line, instead of McLeod, that changes a lot of things. You know, well, you can they have, had, they had R and H with McLeod <laughs> on the third line with Fogel today, but R and H was on left wing, Louie. Yeah, and they put that together earlier, too, and I think they really do want to try and give McLeod that opportunity to have that spot. 
with a veteran guy on his side that can play wing, is a great winger, Nugent Hopkins, who showed that, but also can step in there, take a face-off from time to time. If he's the first guy back, he's responsible down low. He knows exactly where to go. And a left-handed Fogel on the right side. You know, it's it's kind of one of those things where they're trying to find guys to fit into different positions. And that's going to be up to Warren Fogel to win that position and say, yes, I can play there and I can do well there. I know that he's gotten a little bigger over the offseason. He's talked about a little more size. Uh, he wants to have that power game, and that's what he needs to bring to the table. So it's good that he has that mindset. It's just about putting it together now. I'm looking forward to seeing what the line combinations can do because we haven't seen the big guys play yet, and I think that's by design from the coaching staff to kind of make sure they work their way into it and see what happens, but I'm sure we're going to see a lot of them in the next game. For GCLDs, Louis DeBras joining us from NHL Hockey and Rogers. Bob Stoffer with you on Oilers now. Louis, you were in the building Sunday when Edmonton played Winnipeg. What did you see in Yesapoliarvi? Well, I mean, listen, he was he was indirectly responsible for the first goal. You know, he was in and on mix on the four check. Dylan Holloway was the one that picked it off. I mean, Poliarvi had a great chance right before that. The puck came to him right in the slot. It just went through him. And I think that's kind of the spot where that's where he's getting criticized where let's face it i mean it's not about his effort it's not about the forecheck disrupting the play it's about finishing it truly is and it's the same with yamamoto when you're playing with the likes of mcdavid and dry there's always going to be a microscope on you for finishing now yes you can do all the other things great but if you continually get grade a chances and you're not finishing that chance it's only going to last for so long before they finally look at changing it but because yamamoto and polyarby do the other things well that's why they're getting the opportunity. Now, for someone to take that position from either Yamamoto or Poliarvi, let's say a young Dylan Holloway, let's say a Warren Fogle, you know, whoever's trying to step up and take that spot, you have to do those other things very well. You have to create those opportunities. And I think that's maybe where some people get a little misplaced is, you know, saying why is Poliarvi a, a top six guy? Is he a top nine? Same thing with Yamamoto. The reason why they're playing in the top six is what they bring to the table. It's what they do on a nightly basis. But the reason why they might be off of a top six is because they're not finishing. And I know it's a, re- it's a really cutthroat position. It's hard. It's difficult. But being a top six player in the National Hockey League is very difficult. It's not easy. And it has to be on a nightly basis. So I like some of the, the, the opportunities he created. Same with Yamamoto. In Seattle, I thought he had a couple good chances. The one-timer um, from the high slot, you know, in that position to, to finish that puck. For me, it's about that puck starting to go in for both guys. That puck starts to go in for both Yamamoto and Poliarvi on a regular basis. Like for Yessi, at the start of the year last year, the puck was fine in the back of the net. Yamamoto had a pretty good stretch there where he was able to get the 20 goals for the first time in his career. You have both of those guys sniffing around that 20-25 goal range. Um, that just makes you such a hard team to play against. I think that's just the finishing that they're looking for, and it's not always easy. It takes time to develop that, but unfortunately for anybody in that position, when you're riding shotgun with two of the best the best players in the game, you better produce. Absolutely. We're joined right now by Louis DeBras. Louis, uh, we have people that already think that Jake Vertanen should be cut from his PTO. Now, he's played three games for the Oilers. Yeah two of which were basically on ghost rosters against teams that were at home. Jake, he didn't play much last I mean, he was over in the KHL last year. Uh, Would it be premature? Because I think he's going to get two more games minimum. I think he plays in Winnipeg and he plays in uh, Abbotsford. So he would play exhibition game number five and exhibition game number seven. Your thoughts? 
those are tough exhibition games. When you're on a PTO and your guy coming in from on the outside looking in trying to make a team. You know, I think the problem with Jake Rattan is that he's always had a pretty solidified role in the National Hockey League. So when you're used to having a one-way contract, you're used to coming into camp, you work yourself into training camp. You work yourself into the exhibition games and get better as they go along. Um, I didn't see enough from him in the first two games, in my opinion. I did not see enough from him in the skating, number one, the physicality, number two. He has to understand that he's coming here trying to win a bottom six role. He's a big guy that can skate. Now, I don't know what his conditioning is like, to be honest with you, Bob. And like you said, he didn't play a whole ton last year. It's been, it's been a roller coaster ride for him in that sense, going overseas, coming back on a PTO for the first time in his career. But he needs to make something happen if he wants any chance of making this team. He has to go out there and make something happen in the next couple of games. He has to be noticeable to the point where you, you see him on the ice every time he's on the ice, whether it's a hit whether it's a scrum, whether it's a great shot, an opportunity, turning over pucks, whatever it is, a shot block, there has to be things that happen in his game that make you look and say, hey, that's a solid game. Similar to the first game Dylan Holloway played. And I keep bringing him up because he was very noticeable. I know they played him a lot. They want to put him in positions where he's playing back-to-back. He's playing a lot of games. How can he handle that workload? He's a young player. But in that game particularly versus the Jets, he was noticeable almost every time he was on the ice. And it's not an easy task. I understand that. It's a really difficult thing. But for Jake Vertanen, this is a team that is not going to be an easy team to make. Would it be premature to cut him? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, listen, I, I, I don't think he's done enough right now. But this is the reason why you give someone a professional tryout. He's a veteran player who takes up a veteran spot in an exhibition game so you can put him into games where you have to reach that eight, I believe it is, for minimum you have to have in the lineup. And it's his opportunity in a weakened lineup to really stand out. So far he hasn't done that in a weakened lineup. He's going to have to do that in the games that he gets from this point forward to even stand a chance of getting a contract. We are joined by Louis DeBrus, Bob Stoffer with you at Rogers Place in Ice District. Louis, who have you liked on the back end? Oh, you know what? Peters kind of stood out to me a little bit. Um, I felt that he was a big, solid guy back there and played pretty disciplined. Um, didn't try and do too much. Played within his game. Um, I think that, um, like I said, Nima Linen before for me is just a guy that stands out. You know, I, I know Broberg's kind of the guy right now a lot of people are talking about. I haven't seen the A game out of Broberg yet for me. Uh, I think he's still thinking a little bit too much, still trying to process and maybe has a little bit too much on his mind of what he needs to do. And I really believe he just needs to play solid. I think he needs to be acting uh, instead of reacting at times and just be a little proactive in that, in that uh, part of his game. But he's a young player. I, like I said, as training camp goes along, you're going to start to really see the cream rise to the top. And it's, it's grueling. You, you come right into training camp. You have your first exhibition game right away. You do all that training in the summer. You think you're in shape until you get into an intense hockey game that all of a sudden is a little bit more of a, of a workload than you're used to doing in the summer. And it's, it's about managing that, adapting to that, and then overcoming that. And I'd like, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does in the next few games as well because I do think he just has the frame. I know he put on some size as well, and sometimes it takes a little time to learn how to use that size. For Nima Linen, though, he's the guy that has stood out for me, and I just think the dimension that he brings, we've talked about it a lot. 
He's a little reckless at times, but I like that too. He keeps Giannis coming over lines. He battles in front of his net. He makes it difficult to get positioning. I think he's worked on his skills a little bit. He looks like he's skating a little bit better. And I think he's handling the puck better than he was last year in the in the time that we saw him in the National Hockey League. He's just a really interesting player for me that I think is so valuable. I think a defenseman that steps up and every time you come over the line, you know you're going to get hit by him. He keeps a lot of people honest. And that's the reason why he stands out. I'm sorry, but that's the dimension he brings. And that's kind of what I was talking about before. You want to get noticed in a National Hockey League training camp and lineup, you have to bring something to the table that you're really good at. And if you're really good at it, you have to, you have to make sure you're doing it on a shift-to-shift basis. And that's why we recognize him every time he plays, because he doesn't change. doesn't matter who he's playing against. Yeah, he's going to make mistakes, but boy, does he throw some punishing hits around. And he gets hit. He gets back up and he gets right to the battle. So I like that about him. Louie, what's the funniest thing that happened to you at PG-13 during <laughs> preseason games, during your career? Uh, geez, preseason games. <laughs> was there was there ever one that got goofy and out of control and stupid? Um, yeah, lots. You know, like, um, I mean, I fought three times against the Islanders one time, and Jamie Huscroft headbutted me, and I fought Nick Fakota a couple times. And I mean, that was at Madison Square Garden. And there was more fights in the stands, I think, than there were on the ice that night. That's pure. It was it was unbelievable. You know, like you, we'd be sitting on in the bench. And we'd look up in the stands and there'd be a total melee going on in the corner. And we would just start chuckling. You know, it was just uh, it was just the way it was. It was a different game, no question about it. And it, I think that, as you mentioned before, it just brought a different life to the exhibition games because you knew, you knew that was going to be a dimension. That's not the case anymore. So you have to find different ways to be noticed. And like I said before, I think you can really be noticed if you're physical. You can really be noticed if you're after the whistles, you're in scrums, you're competing. Um, you're chippy out there. You know, fight for that position. Fight for the right to play for this team. And I think that any coach will tell you that. They want to see that. They want to see that bite. They want to see guys get into the game and dig in and and just not go away, not go away easily. And I, and I think if you bring that mentality to, to the game plan each and every night, you've got a better chance than not of being recognized and seen in the game. Uh, Rod Phillips, one of his greatest calls, was in Buffalo. It was an afternoon game, and a woman had a purse and started wailing away on this guy, and he was doing play-by-play of it. It was pure broadcasting gold, let me tell you. Louie, awesome stuff. We'll see you down here tomorrow night. Sounds good, bud. You bet. That is Louie DeBrus from NHL Hockey and Rogers at 1252. Uh, We are going to get to a couple texts coming out of this break because, uh, well, we have smart texters. I'm going to tell you that right now. We're going to reference some of that coming up when we return in orders now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, 
everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. We're going to circle back momentarily to Ryan Nugent Hopkins. It's 1253 in Edmonton. If you are looking for a great Oilers road trip, you can join Oilers now in New York City this November to see the Oilers play the Rangers and the Islanders. The Macy's Thanksgiving Parade is there as well. Originally, they had a block of 34 tickets on the trip. That is sold out, so Dennis and Jason and the gang at New West are procuring 20 more spots for the trip. I know we have a waiting list of 25-plus. This New York package includes airfare, five nights uh, in a deluxe hotel in Times Square, lower bowl game tickets to a pair of games. We'll have a welcome reception for you in uh, NYC. We'll have a launch party as well before we head out. For the Oilers Now New York hockey tour, call New West Travel. You can visit them at newwesttravel.com. So I asked the question via the text line, you know, five stone-cold mortal locks on the top six. Is that fair? Uh, and uh, Mark has texted the show to say, Bob, how many five-on-five points did Ryan Nugent Hopkins have last year? I know, Brendan, we were talking off-air on this. So, courtesy of Natural Stat Trick, five-on-five uh, five scoring last year, uh, McDavid had 58 5v5 points. Now, this is just 5-on-5. Five five. This isn't 3-on-3, three 4-on-4. Three, four four. This isn't power play. This isn't PK. This isn't everything. And the Oilers had a lethal power play. But 5-on-5 uh, five five scoring last year. McDavid, 58. Dry settle 54. Hyman had 36 points, including 19 goals, which is a lot. Bouchard uh, had 31 5v5 five points. I think he was 11th in the league, 5-on-5 five five scoring. And... Um, we also had Vander Keen come in with 25, Yamamoto at 29, Poliarvi at 25. So, so Yamamoto 29, Poliarvi 25, Fogel at 22, Derek Ryan had 21. So did CeCe. Ryan Nugent Hopkins was 11th with 20 points. 11th on the team last year in 5-on-5 scoring. Now, that said, he only played 63 games, but he played 100 more minutes than Derek Ryan, and Ryan had uh, 10 even-strength goals and Nuge had 6. Brendan, do you think there could be... Like, it looks like RNH is going to start with McLeod and Fogel to start the year. That's the plan. Is he due for some puck luck? Did he have a bit of a tough year? What do you think happened? For sure, and if you think back to how snake-bitten he was in terms of finding the back of the net in the first portion of last season, you've you've got to think there's some positive regression coming. And, And just what I mean by that is him simply going back to kind of what was the norm earlier in his career. It's not like Nuge can't produce five on five. And when I look at that potential pairing with him and McLeod, there's certainly some playmaking ability there to go around. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll uh, monitor that. Coming up in the second hour of the show, George LaRock at 105 today. Cam Moon in conversation with Connor Bedard at 135. John Shannon will join us today at 145. Keep the text coming at 780-496-0063. I mean, it was, a, it was an odd year. It was an odd year for Nugent Hopkins because he didn't kill it on the power play either. Um You know, this is a guy that has scored 28 goals in a season, mostly that year, basically playing the back half of the season on the left side. He only had 11 goals in 63 games. He had a 7.1% shooting percentage last season. He did have 50 points in 63 games, but a lot of the work was done on the Oilers' lethal power play, which, frankly, I think will be better this year than it was last season. First, first, and third over the last three years, I fully expect Edmonton's power play to be back 
at first or second. We'll continue to monitor that as we go on. Again, you can text us 780-496-0063. This texter comes in saying, I'm okay without the fights in the NHL, but the checking is lacking, especially in Edmonton, and it sucks the excitement level out of each game. Albertans love huge hits or just lots of hits, and there are great teams that do this in a regular season. The playoff crowd absolutely loved the checking. I believe it made the Oilers better, but it was Archibald that sparked the Oilers, and now he's gone without a decent checking replacement. Well, some of that physicality was supposed to be coming, you know, that's why Vertanen had an opportunity in there. Matt says, Bob, in my mind, it's J.P. Yes, Poliarvi's time to shine. There's no one else out there that we can get at right wing that has the upside that Poliarvi has, says Matt. I say give him the shot this year, and if he's trashed, it's let him walk the end of the season. Plus, we'll be a much better cap position next season that we can maybe sign a top six right wing. That comes to us from Matt. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell, George LaRock coming up uh, at 105 today when we return in Oilers now.